Tradition. Fundamentals. The essentials of showmanship. The way professional wrestling used to be. That's been the foundation and formula of the Universal Wrestling Federation. And Coke. Did we, for, uh, we forgot Coke? Uh, also, being a huge money mark and a bunch of wrestlers just seeing blood in the water uh, <laughs> and secretly being like, oh, you know, hey, Herb can get you a big payoff. Or, you know, maybe, you know, like whispers in a locker room about a, a big money man that wants to give you a shit ton of money. Uh, that's what the UWF is based upon. Also, too, lies, scandals, and still the best paragraph on Wikipedia. That's what <laughs> UWF's is. about. Easily. Uh, that is uh, what we're doing here today. I don't know why I turned it to my host all of a sudden. Maybe because I'm right in the middle of the 12 days of high spots and I host every fucking show. Now. So, Nicholas, do your job and be the host of this podcast because I'm exhausted. We're starting out hot on Herb. Not even, not even giving <laughs> him a chance. Nah, nah, nah. This is Tim Bell Pod. I am Nick Alexander, joined as always by Michael Lovin. How's it going, everybody? Did anyone else just recently figure out their health insurance for next year and doesn't feel like they're going to die? Well, I just did, and I feel great. So this episode will be better, and I won't be depressed as fuck if we were recorded three days ago. So yay! And this is going to be wonderful. For Man Scout's intro, I'm just going to let Micah take it away. What? Well, you know Stone Cold and Macho, Heartbreak, John Cena, Eddie and Hogan, Rocky Maivia. But do you recall the most over-wrestler of all? Jacob the Man Scout Manning used to have to do the job. They never let poor Man Scout ever ever work on top some of the other wrestlers wouldn't put over jake they said comedy wrestling made the sport seem fake wendy's then one foggy covid eve high spots came to say man scout with your joke so tight won't you host our show tonight then all the wrestlers loved him as they shouted out with glee. Yippee! Jacob the Man Scout Manning, you'll draw all the money! <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Did you notice all those Christina Aguilera bars I hit in the end there? That was pretty impressive. <laughs> I am thoroughly impressed. That you specifically, Nicholas, because you had the forethought to know that we'd be re we'd releasing an episode on Christmas Eve. And you're like, you know what? Micah is super drunk and we just did this Jimmy Snooker episode that will never come out. Let me go ahead while Micah is in the proper condition of uh, inebriated to the point that he is just saying, fuck him. He should die. <laughs> And be like, you know what? This would be the best time in the world for Micah to record a Christmas song 
uh, about me, which is clearly ad libbed. No writing whatsoever. No, about no, it. no. Over, it. over for hours upon hours upon end, and I keep canceling on podcast booking after podcast booking because I just need two hours to myself for my mind to reset. So, um, considering the shitty day that I've had coming into this, uh, this has put me off on the right foot. So, um, <laughs> let's, uh, you know, let's, let's have a lot of hope that this is going to go well. Let's just, let's just kind of focus in on and doing the right thing and, and putting out a good product and then do a shitload of Coke. Cause that's the UWF way, baby. All right, today we answer the age-old question. What would happen if Tommy Wazoo from The Room yep. started a wrestling promotion? Because today we're telling the story of Herb Abrams. I'm pretty impressed you got the Tommy Wazoo comparison because the money, the mystery background, the clusterfuck, yes. I mean, it, it all fits. Wait a minute, when's the last WrestleCon that you went to, Nicholas? Uh, Orlando. Okay, so you just missed it by a year. For whatever fucking reason, oh my god! Uh, the second time that I had WrestleCon in New Orleans, one trick that Michael does to avoid uh, giving anybody per diem to to give him any meals <laughs> is he'll just put him in a nicer room at the Marriott because he has Marriott points. Yeah. And there's these rooms that you go because you're on the Marriott Elite floor or whatever, and you have access to, like, free breakfast, free snacks between 4 and 6. But surprise, I need you to work between 4 and 6. Except for one day. There was one day during WrestleCon, WrestleMania weekend, I was in there eating my cheese and my crackers, getting my free water, and and grabbing an apple for me to eat while I walked to this open mic in New Orleans somewhere, (laughs) uh, WrestleMania weekend. And right as I'm about to walk out the door, I, I notice somebody very unusual sitting in, in this very nice room. And then all of a sudden, I kind of glance again. I go, holy shit. That's Tommy Wiseau. Holy shit. <laughs> and who's his blonde friend? Greg Sestero. Greg was there. Yeah, Greg. Yeah. Him and wow. Greg were in the Marriott room. They were in New Orleans, WrestleMania weekend, the Holy last time shit. they were in New Orleans, staying in the same WrestleCon hotel we were Oh, in. my God. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced before in my life. If you could have got him to walk into WrestleCon and go, oh, hi, Mark, (laughs) the fucking universe would have imploded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, Marks. Oh, fuck. I'm going to give a little credit to my sources here. Uh, Big source, obviously, the dark side of the ring thing. And I want to give another shout out to Wrestling Classics Message Board. I found some other little tidbits and shit throughout here. It's good stuff. We also have Jonathan Pablon, who I did the interview with last week. If you listen to it, he's writing a book on Herb. And also the sociopaths at Between the Sheets did a (laughs) six-hour UWF episode that I listened to most of. It was kind of fun throughout the weeks leading up to this recording because I would check in on Nick. I was like, so how's it going? And he's like, knocked another 45 minutes off of it. I'm getting there. I also want to give a shout out to Herb Abrams Jr. He gave me all the information that I needed. We are Facebook friends. We talk all the time. But no, gentlemen, you you know how long I've talked about UWF. Like I talked about the UWF as being the most insane thing that I've ever heard about. I've been talking about this for years. (laughs) I've done a, how did this get booked episode? So I've been on board with how nuts UWF is for years. I mean, two years before dark side of the ring ever uh, exposed that wonderful chestnut. And as I've always said, Herb Abrams, Wikipedia, 
is the best paragraph on all of Wikipedia. <laughs> I've read it verbatim multiple times. I'm not going to do it here again. Go out of your way to go read it. It's a trip, much like this podcast will be. All right, so let's get into Tim Bell Pod's version of Herb Abrams. Herbert Charles Abrams was born July 9th, 1955 in Queens, New York. Also born on this same day, no one will ever guess it in a million years, but actor Jimmy Smits was born on the same day as Herb Abrams. You might remember him from NYPD Blue, uh, I think he was in Phantom Menace for like five seconds, and one of the good seasons of Dexter. And fucking L.A. Law. Do not fucking discredit <laughs> the acting credits of one Jimmy Smits, okay? It's true, like, it's true. So Herb's family was in the clothing business in New York, and if you can make pants there, you can make pants anywhere. Uh, this is the best time. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, all right. Herb himself would get into the family business, reportedly owning up to 14 clothing stores. Geez. He was also a lifelong mark for uh, pro wrestling, so much, in fact, that he'd have pro wrestlers do appearances at his and or his father's stores to do signings. You know who else? His father was in the clothing business and a big, huge fan of professional wrestling? Colt Cabana. Wow. So oh. I, I like to think that there, there, there was a trajectory. Yeah. Like they started in the same place <laughs> and they ended up in completely different directions. So I do like uh, how in the dark side of the ring, I will try not to say that too many times, but the mystery involved in Herb's background and I like to think in the same way that Chuck Barris, the host of the gong show, was a CIA assassin. I like to think that Herb might have killed some people for the government, too. Or cocaine. Uh, Abrams moved to Los Angeles and started his first business, Network 9, in 1983. Abrams later started a chain of plus-size clothing stores for women called I'm a Big Girl Now in 1988. <laughs> so. <laughs> you can't go no you hear it in your head you hear the tune you hear the tune i'm a bit yeah <laughs> no what come on herb what is it what is he rodney dangerfield at the beginning of back uh, to school uh, like uh. Uh, you should be going to my clothing store hey, uh, jason how's college like and then he goes on in these ventures as a instead of starting wrestling promotion <laughs> I'm a big girl now. <laughs> it reminds me of the worst joke I ever I ever wrote, and I'm too ashamed to say it at an open mic. Is uh, I've been told I have a bit of a BBC, a big boy cock. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Every time I see it in my notebook, I giggle, but I'll, I won't say it or tweet it or tell anyone. <laughs> So Herb's building some income, he's hustling, he's shark tanking it up, and uh, this is how Herb is going to get the money to get his foot into professional wrestling. And I will never forget, I told Jake, if I ever won a large amount of money playing poker, I would start a wrestling promotion. <laughs> and without, like, without blinking, without breathing, Jake goes, <laughs> good way to lose all that money. <laughs> I mean, it is Herb Abrams' story is the classic story. And here's the thing. I He's one of the first guys that's really been like, oh, I'm going to go against Vince and take him on head-to-head -head and just crashed headfirst spectacularly <laughs> that it's that they write articles about you and you become <laughs> radioactive for fucking ever. Like... 
he's one of the first because you got to keep in mind, like Vince had to gain a little bit of steam. People can get into wrestling. Yeah. And they can be legitimate businessmen. They can make a little bit of money. They get the, get the right people involved. Yeah. And there's a, still a bit of a territory structure. But by the time that Herb is kicking things off, Vince has basically won the war. Like he's pulling ahead and and just everybody is in their rear view so this is like the first guy that's like i'm gonna take on vince like i can't tell you how many people have run the nashville fairgrounds and in the locker room of the nashville fairgrounds they're like we're gonna take on vince Vince is shaking in his boots to the cork bowers to the rest of them all of them there's a long list of guys I like the AWFs to the all the multitude of of just guys that thought they were gonna take over the world, signing guys to exclusive contracts, yeah. signing Vader to an exclusive contract in 2008, because that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I mean, just like. I can't even begin to tell you the long list. I can't even think of the names. At least Corp Bauer came back and ran something legitimate later on. But all these other guys, it never ceases to fucking amaze me what happens. And that's why I think a lot of people laughed at Tony Khan at the beginning because we've seen nothing but the other. And for them to produce an actually pretty good fucking wrestling show that it's one of the few wrestling shows that I can actually sit down and watch is mind blowing to me. So it was roughly 1990, which puts Herb at 35 ish years old. And he was ready to fulfill a dream and start a wrestling promotion, the universal wrestling federation or UWF, which of course is much different than Bill Watts UWF in the lineage of mid South wrestling, because Bill Watts did not believe in three things, civil rights going over the top rope or trademarking his business ventures. (laughs) And I'd just like to say probably about till 9 to 12 months ago, for some reason I thought they were the same thing, and I thought Herb just bought the UWF later and then put it under. I had no fucking clue. Oh, you're one of those people I fucking hate. Yeah, like you do. I have <laughs> had to explain time and time again, because for at least a decade, I've known about this story because every <laughs> shoot interview of every guy that's ever wrestled for the UWF, they always talk about the, the untimely death <laughs> of Herb, which we will get to very shortly. That's been chronicled many a times. And like, I always talk about, man, have you heard about the crazy story about UWF? And people are like, oh no, you mean Bill Watts? I'm like, no, nah! <laughs> this right here is insane. And I, I have had, like, I've had to explain this time and time again. Not the Bill Watts, it's this. <laughs> and even CageMatch.com, I think, has got it fucking wrong. But CageMatch.com uh, doesn't right, have me right. down wrestling in my only fucking dart match. Like, all you people that want to fucking tweet, like, hey, UW, why don't you put Manscout on there? No, all of you guys that want to tweet, like, oh, put Manscout on TV. Stop that. Fucking tweet at the guy who runs cagematchfucking.com or .org or whatever and tell him to fix <laughs> my profile. I wrestled Alex Riley in a dark match in 2009 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay? It is not John Lewis. It's Jake fucking Manning. Put that out there. You fucking tweet that. Don't be like, well, you know, Impact, you can really use the man scout. They don't give a fuck. Brian Myers is there and he's politically blocking me right now. What I say is I want the proper fucking Google searches and we're going to kill you, fucking kill you, to understand that Manscout is two words, not one. (sighs) (laughs) Well, 
So Sports Channel America wanted to do a three-hour block of boxing, pro wrestling, and kickboxing yes. that they were marketing as Fist, Feet, and Fury. <laughs> H- hence the name of UWF's flagship show, Fury Hour. Actually, no, Nicholas. The actual name of it was the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> uh, that's what that block uh, of yeah. programming was actually yeah. called. So. So Herb Abrams received $1 million from Sports Channel America to get up and running. And uh, Sports Channel America, if you're still out there, we have better podcasting numbers than UWF had ratings. (laughs) Give us a million dollars. Well, here's the thing. I guarantee he was able to get a meeting for whatever reason, gave the biggest line of bullshit, and I promise you, <laughs> I promise you on the heads of the children that my father want me to have that I never will, Oh, that as soon as Herb was told that he's getting a million dollars, and as soon as he walked out, he leaned over to his partner and said, can you believe they bought that shit? <laughs> like, I promise you, on everything that's holy, those are the exact words. When he got that million dollars, like, oh, good, we're going into this business venture, and let's hit the ground running. He's like, I can't believe they fucking bought it. Aside from this million dollars throughout UWF, he'd also have some silent investors, one of which uh, Brian Blair hooked him up with. And you know what they call angel investors in pro wrestling? Angle investors. Three point five out of ten. Three point five out of ten. You motherfucker! Um, <laughs> I went on a date with a girl last Friday, and she she has twenty dinosaurs in her kitchen. Um, I'm gonna assume toys. Toy, she, she got a multi, she's like I had to hunt them like a treasure hunt and there was one that I couldn't quite find but then I look in the cupboard and she had a a teacup that was a t-rex and she goes get it it's a t-rex uh-huh and then you left and, and then I you walked out. I left immediately I, I drew home I'm like I don't know I have not talked to that girl since I don't care and I was like no we're done here this is where I get off Thank you. In August 1990, at a wrestling convention, Abrams showed up and announced the newest threat to Vince's empire, part of which he announced his new top star, Bruiser Brody, who had been dead for two years. He announced his head booker, Blackjack Mulligan, who was in federal prison for counterfeiting $500,000 worth of $20 pills. Oh, I know he went in prison, but I didn't know the scam exactly. That's, That's pretty solid. Oh, there was all kinds of stuff with some of those Florida wrestlers. They got into some real estate and some, like, shady stuff. There are people in this territory that went to prison for doing shady real estate deals. And that was something that Blackjack's like, yeah, we just started doing this. And then we started counterfeiting. Ah, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Herb would also toss out some potential names for his roster, including Paul Orndorff, Terry Gordy, Dr. Death, Cactus Jack Manson, David San Martino, and he also convinced Bruno San Martino to do commentary. And I feel like a lot of people can't wrap their head around why Bruno did this, first of all, money. But second of all, you got to remember, this was during a time when Bruno fucking hated Vince. So he was gladly going to be part of something to quote-unquote take Vince down. Anything I possibly can do to take out <laughs> Vince McMahon. I, I don't care how many years it takes. I don't care if it takes one year, two year, three year, 
four year, ah, 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 five year, six year, seven year, eight, eight year. I do not care. I do not care. I will do what it takes to take out Vince McMahon, Bruno San Martino. I'm coming for you. There you go. I saw you guys. <laughs> Bruno didn't have a catchphrase. He would tell you catchphrases are stupid, but uh, it was 80s and 90s. You needed one. Okay. <laughs> Scout's honor. You still need one today. Let's talk about their roster for a second. I will speed read some names. These are all people who were in, in some capacity worked with UWF. Bob Backlund, Bam Bam Bigelow, S.T. Jones, Sid Vicious, Jimmy Valiant, Honky Tonk Man, Billy Jack Haynes, Barry Horowitz, Johnny Ace, Mondo Guerrero, Luis Piccoli, Don Morocco, Wild Samoan, Alpha, Bob Orton Jr., Iceman King Parsons, Ken Matera, Nikolai Volkov, Rick Rude, Andre Giant, Mike Sharp, Jimmy the Murderer Snooker, Larry Zabisco, Ludovichon, Rockin' Robin, Miss Texas, a.k.a. Jacqueline, the Blackhearts, you know, Gangrel's thing, Captain Lou Albano, Nazi lover Missy Hyatt, and oh, speaking of Nazis, Thor, a.k.a. Ludwig Borga, yes, Finland, I heard your fucking complaints and i still think he's a nazi suck it according to QAnon, finland doesn't even exist oh that's a good point and i don't think you said it but you said stuff really fast so my brain was going crazy but also who had a couple shots in uwf was a very young madman pondo yes he fucking <laughs> did i'm glad you fucking said it that's another fucking crazy story too do you have that fucking story no. do you want to tell that fucking story or we're we gonna get to that story because that fucking story <laughs> is fucking typical of the fucking UWF <laughs> if it ever fucking was one. I just found him in the match listings. I had no clue there was that juicy of a little uh, bit there. Oh, he told me this fucking story, and it's a fucking chestnut and a half. I'm pissed it did not end up on our fireside chat, but he... Fuck, man. It's probably in his... It has to be in fucking Pondo's book. So yeah, get I, I Pondo's book yet. to read it. But we'll probably fucking ruin that on this podcast because it's fucking <laughs> crazy. What are your thoughts on Fury Hour? You mean, this is the That's basically how he said it. I'll say that uh, I think there was 45 episodes. I could be wrong. They are all on YouTube. They're in two show blocks. The best thing is to entice you to go watch them is they include all the old commercials of when they originally aired and there are some juicy, juicy shit in there. But yeah, I as doing research for this, I watched like episode 1, 2, episode 9, 10, 19, 20, 29, 30, 39, 40, and the last two episodes. So I, I tried to see the progression. There was none. It was just like plateauing the whole time. But yeah, they're all on YouTube. Go check them out. Well, back when I had DirecTV, like at ESPN Classic, I, well, I probably got it now, but it's the it's standard definition. And who watches fucking cable in standard definition? Am I a fucking commoner? Uh. Also, too, who has who has fucking cable now? A fucking <laughs> old man? Everybody's on ESPN Plus. Uh, but regardless. <laughs> They, they rerun those on ESPN Classics every once in a while, and I remember recording some of them and watching it. I'm like, this shit is just as crazy as, like, because I already knew the story, and then rewatching it, I'm like, yes, all of this is <laughs> fucking nuts. But I will say this, though. He did give a lot of opportunities to a very early Cactus Jack. Yep. You can't discredit that. Also, to a lot of guys that were in transition in their careers moving into that next thing or they're kind of like cushion the blow of them coming off of Vince's TV like he did take care of people like that giving someone like Mick Foley who is the nicest and sweetest person in the world an opportunity you know and giving him a chance to be on television to get himself out there and get himself going I think that's the best thing that ever came out of the UWF is the fact that they helped a very early Mick Foley 
but it was by a fucking lunatic. Um, <laughs> it's very similar to the guy who used to run the Extreme Rising shows, that, that reboot of ECW, if you guys remember that. That was around for a while. Because, fun fact, the ECW arena, which I think it's the arena now, or 2300 arena, after like all the balconies were tore out and they reopened it, Old Man Scout was the first match back. Oh, oh shit. I wrestled Robbie Marino and Blue Meanie and the promoter of Extreme Rising, who'd already run like about a half a dozen events, you know, was like, hey, we're going to start running the arena now. We're going to start making some practice and we're going to start doing it. And I'm like, okay, well, people are going to kind of get aware of me because he used Luke Hawks very early and Luke Hawks was getting some traction from it and getting some attention from it. And there were some other people getting some attention. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is nice. But then the, the, the promoter was like in love with me and he goes, we're going to make you a star and we're going to do this. And it was such bullshit that I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, you're not fucking serious. <laughs> Which I would have had to eat my words if I wasn't right that he was full of shit and he was fucking, that was his last show we ever fucking run. <laughs> but apparently every wrestling promoter that believes in the man scout Jake Manning is a scumbag. Hence why I think Tony Khan is the nicest person on the planet and he has no fucking time for me. Uh. But it's very similar to that. And when we had Mick in for the Celathon at the high spot sale. This is a joke that went underneath the radar and it caught Mick. He was in the middle of a story because he was auctioning off and his second pair of boots that he ever had, or no, the, I think it was either the first or second pair of boots he ever had. And it happened to be a pair of boots that he wore like in the Memphis and USWA days. And he was listening off all these places and he goes, yeah, even Japan too. And then like, I asked him mid conversation, like, did you wear these in the UWF? And he goes, uh, yeah, I think so. And then I licked <laughs> the bottom of the soles and I go, yep, there's Coke on these boots. <laughs> the UWF. <laughs> and like, it's still my favorite. That's still my favorite joke. And that whole, Sit down interview is available on YouTube. I highly <laughs> recommend it, especially the part where Noel Foley complimented me on my mustache, and I got very uncomfortable. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird because I remember you as a child. Beyond the mat. Beyond the <laughs> a mat. Child, <laughs> and you are not a child anymore. You are taller than me, and. This is weird. So uh, just uh, to throw that out there, if anything, of all the things I'm going to say about Herb, the fact that he was good to Mick Foley, who was a good and decent human being, and the fact that he was good to guys as they were slowly descending down from the spotlight of WWF and paid them very well and treated them like stars, you know, kudos to him for that. Well, I'll defend the Fury Hours a little bit because I think a lot of people go back and they hate on them because it's, either squash matches or DQ finishes. But if you look at like early WWF Raws or any WCW TVs, that's all it was. It was like a, a name beats up a job guy and then two names end in a count out. That's like, that's what TV wrestling was at the time. I mean, did early WCWs have David San Martino coming out to Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe? No, <laughs> they did not. Did they have a wrestler named Davey Meltzer? No, they did not. Uh, about to get to that. <laughs> From the start, Dave Meltzer started poking holes in the promotion before they even had a show, and this made Herb angry. So much, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> <laughs> so much, in fact, that on the first ever Fury Hour, taped September 24th, 1990 in Reseda, California, we get the debut of job guy Davey Meltzer. It's quite amazing, but I think the cherry on top to this whole stupid fucking, hey, I'm mad at Dave Meltzer, so I'm going to kick the shit out of him. At the end, you can tell he instructed uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, 
to stuff a piece of paper down his mouth <laughs> as if it's a dirt sheet and then yell at him some more and eat his own dirt sheet. <laughs> There's no way this guy has a career after this. It was it was insane. Uh, episode two, you get Cactus Jack beating the shit out of Davy Meltzer if you guys are interested <laughs> in that. Let's see. Another highlight would be on the October 11th, 1990 taping, Andre the Giant would show up to be part of a talk segment captain lou albano's captain's corner and i can't imagine andre was ever going to wrestle for uwf we're like months away from him needing assistance to walk and like two years away from his passing but either way i mean he had andre the giant on his tv that counts as you kind of chug through the fury hours it becomes set that like the main event players are going to be steve williams paul orndorff bob orton bam bam uh, Brian Blair and Ivan Koloff are going to be your upper mid carters. And then they're building up David San Martino and Cactus Jack. They don't have like that big Hogan or Flair or Sting. But man, you can do a lot fucking worse than this roster. This is a good roster. Dr. Death at this time. This is like in the prime of, of Dr. Death. Also too, Paul Orndorff. He doesn't get enough credit for whatever, whatever fucking reason. Paul Orndorff never gets enough credit than, than what he deserved as a main event player. I don't know if it's because it was just very early and he was, they did weird stuff with him. Like he was a heel and then he turned babyface, and then he went back heel again. So the, just that weird stutter step kind of like, I think kind of messed up his whole WWF run for whatever reason. But it's funny. I was watching one of the kayfabe commentaries timelines, one of the first ones, and they were the, the hypothetical what if situation is what if Hulk wasn't coming to the WWF? Who could the WWF saddle their, their wagon to? And they had Kevin Sullen basically laying it out. Who could they have, you know, in the forefront of the guy to lead this revolution of rock and wrestling? And Kevin Sullen's like, they had the guy, Paul Orndorff. Man looked like a million bucks, no holes whatsoever in, in his working ability. Apparently there's this match with, him and B. Brian Blair, that's just phenomenal. I, I haven't really found it, but people say that it was one of the best matches that ever happened in the Garden. Just ridiculously good worker, great body. I think he even did a few commercials like trying to be Atlas because he had the world on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. like just, just muscles just everywhere. Unbelievable wrestler, could cut a promo. You know, he wasn't obviously, let me tell you something, brother type guy, which I think is what they really kind of need. But it's hard to not see wrestling in the 80s without that, what you're going to do, brother. But if you don't have that, you know, it's interesting. Someone like Kevin Sullivan was like, no, the guy that would fill that void or possibly could come close to filling those shoes is Paul Orndorff. And... You know, you have him on your roster as your top guy at this moment in time. I mean, to me, this is like, this is no different than Kurt Angle going to TNA. And, you know, when Kurt Angle went to TNA, he was still very much in his prime and was still having unbelievable matches. He just was a fucking train wreck. Um, where, like, Orndorff was a bit, a bit more in the rails. His body was breaking down for sure. But that's some top guys. That's, that's, some, that's some good booking there. I, like I said, I watched kind of two episodes here and there to get stuff. Some highlights. Episode 9 starts with the continuation of last week's main event with Kim Patera <laughs> and Nikita Koloff, which, you know, it's just a cliffhanger genius marketing decision. So we rejoin it in episode 9, and then it's quickly an over-the-top DQ finish that's not even explained, really. It's great. 
episode 10, you get to see Cowboy Bob Orton headbutt female Queen Bee Honey. And then in the Captain Lou's court segment, you get to see John Tullis, the coach, and Bob Orton brag about assaulting Honey. That's fun. Later episodes, there is a Jewish gimmick wrestler named Joshua Ben-Gurion, and his finisher is called the Israeli Air Force Bomber. And on YouTube, there is Herb Abrams' UWF Wildest Matches. I have to recommend two segments on there big time. Um, About six minutes into it, you get to see a ref who I don't think has been clued in that wrestling is a work. He takes three chair shots to the head from Dr. Death Steve Williams and keeps coming at him and tries to take him down like it's a shoot. And then there is Mr. Red versus the Ninja. And Captain Lou Albano's commentary is the most shill shit I have ever heard, and it must be experienced. It is a kind of a typical UWF match that's just kind of a, eh, nothing's clean, it's all blah. And this is Captain Lou's commentary. This is a great match. I've never seen anything like it. This match is being filmed by ABC, NBC, CBS for a documentary. This is going down in the Wrestling Hall of Fame as one of the greatest matches of all time. It's it's quite amazing to see because you can see how much influence Herb was just like yelling at everyone to scream down everyone's throat watching and listening to them to convince them that this shit is gold. That ref who wouldn't sell for Dr. Death, this is how fucking insane this Not only would he not sell for Dr. Death... He tried to fucking fist fight Dr. Ted <laughs> Steve Williams in the fucking locker room. Oh, do we have it? Uh, like what? What his whole story was? I think so. I think I, I. I don't even remember where I got this from. I think I got it from a podcast who was quoting Dave Meltzer. So it's a like this. I'm getting it like fourth wave here. All right. so, but telephone. Uh, yeah, so like, cause Doctor Death like hit him for real on the third one. <laughs> yeah. So then they went to the. I'm like, you, like, he, does this guy have a death wish? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a sight to see. I recommend that the fuck out of. So we just alluded to it a little bit earlier about the Madman Pondo story. I think this is one of the TV tapings. I, I, I think it kind of goes into like the Captain Lou thing and also the Bruno Sammartino commentary. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. It's been a few years, but I heard this directly from Pondo uh-huh. on, on the story. He told me this like after a show in Cleveland, and it's the craziest story that I've ever heard from him. And that's saying a lot, considering the man <laughs> yeah, has basically lead pencil, like, <laughs> yeah. pencil lead in his skin Ugh. that is poisoning him for life. Mm. Um, so I don't know how it all came about, but they got word... I, guess, I, I don't know if Pondo was doing a mask gimmick or they wanted him to do a mask gimmick or they got him confused with somebody, but he ended up getting a booking and the people at UWF were confused on the things that Madman Pondo could do inside the ring. They thought when they booked Madman Pondo that they were getting a guy who could do all of Tiger Mask shit. <laughs> Okay. So whatever reason they they got tapes, I don't know how I don't remember that part of the story, but he's you know he's Pondo's always been hustling to get a spot and opportunity, and here he is, he's getting an opportunity to do this mass gimmick, and they think he can do all of Tiger Mask stuff, and they are elated. They pay him <laughs> way more money than they than he's ever seen before in his life. They fly him wow. to this TV taping. He gets there, and Bruno San Martino walks up to. Him. <laughs> Madman Pondo and is like, hey, 
you know, I've heard a lot of good things about you <laughs> and we really need somebody like you here to really excite the people. And thank you for being a part of the team. And like, wow, that's just Bruno. Like other people were like that the entire day <laughs> of just the whole thing. And he goes out there and it is not Tiger Mask. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Can I, do we know? I mean, Madman Pondo, he's, not, he's always a big dude. Was he like, really cut back then do we you know exactly no he looks about no. the same as it does right now like that's all right yeah, yeah and yeah. he just goes out there and he's doing his thing and you get to the back and they're like what the hell was that <laughs> and he goes that's me wrestling and like where's all the flips and stuff he goes i don't do any of that like what what do you what do you would you book here like and i think they i think in mid-match they even did a run in i think captain lou did a run it was weird wow. it was there was it was off the wall. I think Pondo's got it all in his book to detail the whole thing, but it's they booked him thinking that Madman Pondo was, was basically Tiger Mask <laughs> incarnate. Like wow. that just goes to show the craziness of UWF. Yeah, all the communication lines were really uh, working well in UWF. So UWF's 1990 effort would earn Herb Abrams worst television announcer another oh. shot from Dave oh. Meltzer. Oh. But by September 91, things were starting to nosedive a bit. Uh, Sports Channel America's deal had expired and they did not offer an extension. So Herb moved the promotion east, setting up shop in New York, where he ran shows across the street from MSG at the Penta Hotel. With New York being kind of a hotbed of wrestling, their first New York taping drew 900 people, but each show would gradually shrink a bit every time. But with a name like Universal Wrestling, you can't just stick to California, New York. So by spring, they went down to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> first in Fort Lauderdale, and then with the help of Rick Bassman, Herb got UWF a show at Universal Studios, Florida. But the crown jewel of it all was the promotion's first and last pay-per-view, Beach Brawl 1991. Yeah, uh, if anybody's interested, because, man, the research you get on this podcast is amazing, watch episode 29 and 30 of The Fury Hour to get the very electric build-up to Beach Brawl. I mean, every <laughs> match. Shit. <laughs> just, like, I've seen this formula, like I said, this formula time and time and time again of, like, we're going to book these names, and then these names are like, well, you know, and they're... they're I've been in locker rooms at big shows like this before. And then all of the big name wrestlers, when they sense me being realistic and being like, <laughs> Hey man, this is bullshit. Yeah. Like this guy, he's talking about taking over the world. <laughs> like you all know this is bullshit. And then these older veterans that are getting six figures or $10,000 for like, not only a talent fee, but a booking job and they're double dipping and they're like the head booker. And then they're going to open up a wrestling school and you're going to be the head trainer, but you're already uh, been paid $5,000 for that. And he's giving all this money and I'm getting pulled aside being like, you know, you got to understand that we're trying to do something special here. I go, no, motherfucker, you're trying to get a payoff. Why are you fucking telling me fucking to show a little respect? This guy ain't going to be here three months from now. I, Jake Manning, will fucking be around forever. I am the, the cockroach of professional wrestling. As much as I'd like to fucking leave, I'm fucking here for the duration, friends. As soon as pro wrestling dies, I don't know, in the next three months or so, um, I'm here. So don't fucking talk down to me. And that's why I feel like 
I'm sure a lot of them were like, you know, let's just keep it easy, brother. Or we're doing something. And also, too, like some of those, this is the moment in time those guys that are getting those $10,000 a month payoffs, they're like, all right, time to earn my money <laughs> and just brawl all over the building and show everybody <laughs> that there's nobody in the fucking crowd. And, and then, like, you get out there and they go, they go hard and they give an effort. Like, they give a real good match and they're like, see? You got some money out of me. I'm like, congratulations. You've been fucking robbing this guy blind. You might as well give him one fucking good match. Great fucking job, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's fucking weird. Uh, just like that Heroes of Wrestling guy that did that fucking casino that Jake the Snake Roberts jerked off the fucking snake. Like, this just, <laughs> it goes in the fucking bin of that. The, the multitudes of, of other motors, the crossfires, the fucking just... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to fucking begin. The the Ronnie Gossets of the fucking world. Just fuck off. Like, <laughs> seriously. Like, just worry about putting on a good fucking show. Why do you got to fucking take over the world? Why you got to fucking do pay-per-view? Why you got to be like, oh, I'm going to rail against Vince here. Uh, just fucking run good fucking shows. You have a talented fucking roster. And if you promote it and focus in on that and get a product that gets people to come see you fucking live, you have the ability on sports channel. You have a great opportunity. That's why like, you know, I said Corp Bauer's name earlier. He learned from his mistakes the first time around and he changed his formula a little bit and he realized I'm going to put out a TV to get people to come to these big, you know, quarterly shows. And he was doing okay. For the most part, he was spending a lot of money and he was putting a lot of effort into it. And then COVID kind of fucking changed everything. Um, his contracts are great for the fucking wrestlers, but he's investing in some of the guys in the future and giving them an opportunity to try some stuff. He got in early on MJF and got in early on Shane Strickland and and Trey Miguel and a lot of the other guys. So, like, the, these guys, like, open doors. For, maybe I'm just crusty because, like, every time one of these guys open the door for me, they're fucking closed a month later. Like, if you just want to <laughs> open the door earlier, like, why did it take takes so long for you to find me. Why can't you find me from the beginning? Let me get this eight month run. And then when you disappear, I'm still fucking here and I get the fucking rub. So I don't know. The fucking beach brawl is the fucking beach brawl. <laughs> I love the ominous, or I guess more the foreshadowing of the show where it's at the Manatee Civic Center. Cause it's like <laughs> of, of all the fucking animals or visuals, like a big overgrown do nothing fucking animal that's just kind of floating there getting by i mean it's just kind of fucking epitomizes all this shit my friend do you have any idea how many hippie girls i've dated that have a tattoo of a manatee on their fucking calf it is <laughs> fucking unnerving why what what am i missing? i don't know i'm like what's that i go that's a manatee i'm like Okay, I bet I bet it is. You want to sage my house? What uh, the what's taking so long to ask in my astrology symbol? Like, <laughs> I've never heard that one. What the fuck? Oh, and uh, just uh, old school watching the footage. Just the 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 nostalgic like kiss is that they're advertising like okay, you can order the pay per view for fourteen ninety five, blah blah blah, or you can call the UWF hotline and listen to the updates as they're happening for only a dollar twenty nine per minute. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, of all the nostalgic hustles, that's one of the best ones I've heard in a long fucking while. Following uh, Beach Brawl, UWF would hold a couple more Fort Lauderdale tapings, drawing 300 and then 52, respectively. Oh. And Dave was right back there to needle them. A 1991 Wrestling Observer's 
Awards, 1991's Worst Promotion of the Year, 1991's Worst Television Show of the Year, and 1991's Most Obnoxious Hermes. Oh, why? So Dave is just dunking. Dave, you're just fucking kicking a fucking Chinese crested. That's all you're yeah, fucking doing. God. It's an ugly ass fucking dog, but you know what? That fucking dog needs somebody to fucking love. And here you are just kicking this Chinese crested. He's like, oh no, I gotta do it for the betterment of wrestling. No, man, like it is what it is. It is what the fuck it is. You, everybody know there's far worse shit out there, I'm sure. You know, Dave's thinking if he's just hard on him, then he'll improve and it'll turn into a great promotion. That's totally what he's thinking. No, it's it's just like Dave saying it to prove, like, see, I'm about good professional wrestling because I trash bad wrestling. Everybody knows this is bad, David. Everybody knows this is bad. You just doing it is just for, like, see, see how good I am about professional wrestling? I know that the UWF is bad. No fucking shit. Everybody knows it's bad. It's just he's doing it as almost like a um, virtue signaling of about professional wrestling. It's just like he goes, you know, I think racism is bad too. No fucking shit. No fucking shit. I think I think gay should have the same rights as everybody. No fucking shit. Like this is just Dave fucking virtue signaling that he fucking likes professional wrestling. That's all this is. I don't know why the fuck I'm screaming yeah. during this whole fucking episode. I'm riled up. This is what happens when we record a podcast at 9 p.m. at night after I get done working out, after I get done taking pre-workout, after I get done dealing with fucking bullshit at highspots.com. As I said, I'm only in pro wrestling for three more months because my fucking level of professional wrestling is going to be fucking dead in six months. Dead. They're just taking guys that have been on TV before and at the PC and then shuffling the deck. They're going to they're gonna fire a whole bunch of people at the PC. They're going to show up at fucking Impact. Then Impact guys are going to fucking leave and they're showing up at AEW. Then all these AEW guys are getting spots. They're going to go on to the Fed or they're going to go to Impact. And then it's just shuffled <laughs> around and there's no more fucking wrestling at National Guard Armories. There's no more fucking wrestling at fucking the Poughkeepsie fucking Mid-Hudson Civic Center. There's no more fucking wrestling at high school gyms. There's no more fucking wrestling at the Manatee Civic Center. So my level of professional wrestling is fucking dead so david fucking Meltzer just be fucking happy that there's a fucking show in this manatee fucking civic center <laughs> because fuck you fuck off just be happy that browsing exists like it did during this time and somebody allowed it to be on fucking television unlike fucking now in all the high school gyms and the fucking armories it's fucking over how much cocaine was on Mick Foley's boot, Jake? Uh, I, I, I'm, I am wide the fuck open. <laughs> if you could not tell. And uh, sorry, a uh, little flashback. One little tidbit on Beach Brawl that sold it so much that it was a, a mud show pretending to be a pay-per-view. At the, in the closing credits, it says catering Domino's Pizza. Because nothing <laughs> says an indie show like me going and getting a 250 slice at a fucking indie show sold by a woman who teaches school at the place where I'm seeing wrestling. No, fuck you. You don't know. <laughs> you don't fucking know. Let me explain something to you, Micah. How pro wrestling fucking works. Nick kind of fucking knows. And Nick is a guy who works in the chef. You understand what it's like to eat your food over top of a trash can. Yes. You know who else yeah. fucking does that? Pro wrestlers. Because you <laughs> fucking know what? Yeah. 
Well, at the beginning of that, you're hoping that the promoter has at least bought a fucking 24-pack of Food Lion water <laughs> so you have water to drink in this prison cell, a.k.a. a fucking locker room you're in. Um, and then at the end of that, you're hoping that the promoter, after he's already sold everything at intermission and pizza's pretty much done, that there's maybe one or two pizzas left because pizza was selling so good, you reordered it but showed up a little right, bit after right, intermission. Right. You got this one extra pizza, but you made a shit ton of money on it. Let me just put this one fucking pizza pizza back for the fucking <laughs> inmates aka the fucking wrestlers i fucking booked who anytime they gave the price you negotiate them down by 20 fucking dollars if they're not fucking worth the extra 25 fucking dollars but they set that down and it's cold fucking pizza so mm. one fucking day like after wrestling fucking non-stop left and right you know getting that free water getting that free cold pizza at the end of the night and all of a sudden i can't remember where we were we were at a bar and i go you got any food like no you, you can order a pizza I'm like great that sounds good right now and they ordered a domino's pizza and they brought it and i ate it and keep my just was made and it was warm and all of a sudden i go holy shit <laughs> This is the best pizza I've ever fucking had. And then I was like, this is, and then I go, wait a minute, this is fucking Domino's. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, fuck. I have not had warm oh, Domino's pizza <laughs> oh my God. for five fucking years. Oh. Like, it was just, it sunk in. They're like, I have not eaten pizza warm <laughs> in years. Because you don't eat it before a show. <laughs> You can't fucking eat it like on Monday before a show. You got to put that fat ass in spandex. You can't fucking be eating pizza. But as immediately as soon as you're done, mere minutes afterwards, you can do that. That's fine. That's cool. And it's also free calories because you didn't pay for it. Free free food, free calories. Yeah, That's how it true. fucking works. So when I ate that, it's like a realization. So when you're like, oh, Domino's pizza, fuck you. Warm Domino's pizza. It is a treasure. It is a delight <laughs> that I rarely ever fucking get these days. This has managed to be more off the rails than our George Still Christmas episode. Well, I mean, we have to go off the rails when the guy we're covering was doing rails, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so from here, the shows would get way more sporadic. They'd do a South Carolina taping uh, June 92. They'd also do a North Dakota taping July 93. But by 94, Herb was ready to throw one last Hail Mary into the end zone. He was going to do it in the best place there is to push and pray, Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Nick with the push and pray uh, poker <laughs> term there. I say anybody that really knows their poker was like, wow, Nick's really trying to fucking get some points with the poker nerds. There, Herb rolled out the UWF Blackjack Brawl, broadcast it live at the MGM Grand Arena. And this is actually not a pay-per-view. It aired on Sports Channel for free. The original airing was even cut in 10 minutes by a hockey game. <laughs> Think about it. The MGM Grand, where they had double or nothing. <laughs> and a multitude of WCW pay-per-views, most specifically Halloween Havoc, which was kind of like their flagship event. Yeah. And those all happened after this blackjack brawl. So <laughs> oh, yeah. God fucking bless the man <laughs> who books out the MGM Grand. To like, Because yeah, normally when you run wrestling and it fails this spectacularly, wrestling never fucking comes <laughs> right. space again. So I don't know how that the guy who runs the MGM Grand was like, you know what? Let's double down one more time. Let's double well, we down on this, this wrestling. Hey, table. we're Vegas, baby. Let's go. Vegas. We're Vegas. <laughs> The MGM Grand Arena seated approximately 17,000 fans. 
Abram sold 640 tickets of the 15,109 printed tickets. Roughly 300 of those were the actual sales, and the rest were some good old-fashioned Vegas comps. And even 300 people being there is being pretty fucking nice. Do you think they even covered the money and the paper and the ink it took to print out all <laughs> the fucking tickets? <laughs> Not at that fucking time. It is expensive to print out tickets. That's back just, then. That I is a good you. point. That is a good point. <laughs> There's a limited amount of print shops. Now you can go on like one hour flyers and you can get them no problem. But back then you had an old man that probably had to put out the actual fucking letters yeah, and yeah. put them in the machine and then stamp them away. Ink cartridges are like 80 bucks a piece. I mean, fuck. I want you guys to tell me what you thought about Blackjack Brawl, but before, all I want to get out into the world right now is that ring announcer, yes, Steve, yes. Steve Rossi, <laughs> did the worst job of ring announcing than anyone who has ever done a bad job of doing anything poorly ever. It was fucking horrible. He is the show. He is the MVP <laughs> of the fucking show because you look forward to what in the fuck this man is going to say <laughs> every single time. And not just before the match, but after the match when he congratulates not just the winner, <laughs> but the loser of the match. And basically, nudge, nudge, punches, yells at the crowd. Come on, people. Let's cheer for him. Come on. It is amazing. I'm drawing a blank, but I guarantee you I can find you somebody fucking worse. No, I probably... <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you send me your worst. It's like he didn't even understand the very basics of pro wrestling, that there's a good guy and a bad guy. Because everyone who walked out, he'd be like, let's hear it for him. And it's like, no, this is a fucking badass like warrior who wants to kill everyone. You don't introduce him with, come on, guys, let him hear it. At least he was trying to do some semblance of a job as opposed to trying to put himself over, which that's true. Those are the, that's true. Those that's are the fucking point. ring announcers that are trying to be a celebrity that have their own fucking eight by tens at the fucking yeah, table yeah. try and get themselves fucking over. Listen, not every ring announcer can be fucking Corky Franks. That is <laughs> that I will say it to the end of fucking time. Corky um, Franks. Is that what you said? Corky Corky Franks. Okay. I, I think is and also sound guy. Not every sound guy could be Mark Shermani, the best uh, sound guy I've ever experienced in professional wrestling. I think his last name is Shermani. Professional sound tech and wonderful like music guy. And then Corky Franks, as far as ring announcers go, one one of the best. If you give me those two any fucking day of the week, <laughs> perfectly fine. But there is a big drop off. So to say that this guy is the worst, yeah, I dude. promise you, dude. I have been on a fucking show <laughs> with a guy that was doing that same shit and trying to get himself over and doing a few minutes of stand up <laughs> um, in between each fucking match. I promise you, I, I've been it, but I blocked out of my head because I was in West Virginia somewhere and I had far wor worse things to deal with. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, the actual show. But at the beginning of the show, like you got the video package and they're hyping up the show and everything. And then it starts to pull in. And I think you start to hear some crowd reaction. And we're still on, we're not in the ring. We're still on some graphics. And all of a sudden you hear very loudly, Herb and then we get to Herb in the ring. And then he goes, Herb Abrams here. So he had missed his cue. <laughs> so high on fucking coke that he just screamed. It's it's like a Herb Abrams. He combined the words Herb Abrams here all into one big screaming fit. But then he gets it going. It, it, it sets the tone for the pay-per-view so fucking good because he's railed out of his mind. 
and he just can't hold himself back. There's a couple of good matches. Like the main events, not bad. Uh, Sid yeah. and Dr. Death's pretty solid. Um, the Killer Bees match is pretty good. You know what the best worked match of the entire show is, right? Uh, little Tokyo and Karate yes! Kid. Yes. yes Hands you. down, best match. Yes. The Little Person Championship match is bar none the fucking best worked match of the whole fucking show. They do all types of shit. It's very, very impressive. And real quick, we, we need to touch on all the championships that are in the UWF. And I'm going to name 12, and you need to guess which one isn't defended on this card because we need to point out there are 11 championships <laughs> de- defended on Blackjack Brawl. All right, so we have the Sports Channel TV Championship, the Women's World Championship, the North American Championship, the Southern States Championship, the Israeli Championship, the IC Heavyweight Championship, the Americas Championship, the Junior Heavyweight Championship, the MGM Grand Championship, the Mid or the Little Person World Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship, and the World Tag Team Championship. Nick, do you know? I don't remember if I had to guess. I I would say the Israeli one. You are correct. You are yeah. correct. I think I would have remembered. <laughs> Because, uh, what did I say his name was? Francisco Borgiano was not on the card. So I'd just like to point out that at one point, Missy Hyatt is dressed up like a nurse. So I guess you could say she's uh, mingling it up. What else? Um, they fuck up Mondo Guerrero's name and he comes out to Rico Suave entrance music. This is another one. Watch the three-hour version on YouTube because it has all the old school commercials. You get uh, Jeff Foxworthy VHS commercials. You get old uh, sports commercials. It's It's... It's a very interesting time if you want to have some drinks and or uh, do an edible. If I hear that fucking log home commercial again, I'm going to shoot <laughs> myself in the head. They play it every time. Yeah, they did. All right. So Blackjack Brawl would also one final KO punch from old Davey Meltzer. Uh, 1994's worst major wrestling show of the year, which in all fairness, it was probably... Which, which is saying something because 94 was a bad year in the States. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was fucking good at all except for maybe Hulk Hogan going to WCW. That's about it as far as anything fucking noteworthy in all of 94. And a rumored match for Blackjack 2 or 3 was going to be a psycho-aquatic torture match <laughs> between Cactus Jack and Sabu. I don't know what any of that means, but yeah, with those two uh, doing it, someone would have shoot fucking died. <laughs> like, yeah, no that sounds amazing. Or it would have been the worst thing ever, and we would have been like, wait, that didn't have anything to do with what the gimmick said it was. After this, Abrams uh, moved back to New York and tried to take care of his mother. And while he wouldn't ever run an actual event again, he was still trying to get UWF kind of off the ground. He was working on selling the VHS tapes. He was trying to get them into foreign markets, but sadly, none of this would come to fruition as Herb's growing cocaine addiction would soon get the best of him. The hammer would drop on July 23rd, 1996. Here we go, Jake. Abrams was confronted by police in his Manhattan office space (laughs) after a disturbance was reported. Herb was found naked, covered in Vaseline and cocaine, chasing two prostitutes around with a baseball bat. And that is the greatest paragraph on Wikipedia. Hands fucking down, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. 
This is, this is usually the least funny part of the episode. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jesus Christ, man, that's that's insane. Police took Abrams into custody and headed to the nearest hospital, but 90 minutes later, he had a massive heart attack due to the cocaine and passed away. Jake, I gotta ask, have you ever, have you had that type of Herb Abrams dude where you're trapped in a hotel room with that wrestler that's just blitzed out of his mind, but you gotta stay there and you just can't escape? Have you had many of those? No, I mean, Joey Sylvia was pretty laid back more than you think. Uh, no, I'm kidding. North Carolina Independent <laughs> Wrestling shout out from that 2007. One <laughs> that one um, guy loved the joke, though. But no, I've usually kind of avoided people like that. Uh, I've definitely had the typical like, hey, you know, like I took a really bad bump on Monday Night Raw on the ramp and my back's been kind of messed up. And like I got a really weird thing with like my, my prescription. I'm not able to fill it at CVS because I'm not in, you know, the town that I live in. Do you know anybody that's got pills? Like, <laughs> I've always had that. Like that person com- come to me, more of a downer situation. Um, but as far as like Coke, like – there was somebody that it was very kind of unexpected when they were like, like, Hey, I got your Coke. And I was like, Oh, uh, that's, that's a funny joke. And then I saw a vial like, Oh shit. I didn't realize this person did Coke. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, this is a real thing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is weird. Um, and of course this is happening in the ECW, uh, arena. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, but yeah, it was definitely that. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. So I've thought about that, but no, I, I've, I've stayed away from it as much as possible. Cause anytime like there's even like a hint to it or possibility of it being around, I go in the opposite fucking direction immediately because my life would end up exactly like fucking Herb Abrams <laughs> if I ever did one ounce of cocaine ever. Like I've tried a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. I have tried a lot of things and I am really looking forward to trying mushrooms. I'm really excited to do acid again, but I want nothing to fucking do with cocaine yeah. whatsoever. So, yeah, real <laughs> fucked up. I don't, I don't want to say that hasn't been been said a multitude of times. I think Pete Brian Blair said it best. He died with the two things that he loved, hookers and cocaine. <laughs> Enter the dream home of the 90s, captured within the pages of Log Home Living Magazine. Whether you're dreaming about living in a log home, or you're making your dream a reality, Log Home Living is the publication you must have. Every other month, you'll receive your copy of Log Home Living, covering the essentials on buying, building, and maintaining a log home. You'll receive guidance on site selection, creative floor plans, technical tips, financing, decorating, and much more. With your paid subscription of 1995, you'll automatically get the next annual buyer's guide, 300 pages filled with everything you need to know to build a log home. And as a free bonus gift, you'll receive the log home plans book, including over 100 pages of photographs and complete floor plans that will guide you step-by-step through construction. This tremendous offer of one year of log home living magazine, including the annual buyer's guide and the log home plans book, so uh final thoughts on herb abrams i think i said as i said earlier i mean the fact that he was getting in on the ground floor of mcfoley and the fact that he was like you know what if i have the ability to get paul warndorf i'm gonna go get him and you know dr Death had kind of had a pretty decent run but like I don't think a lot of people saw him as a commodity in America. He wasn't booked quite quite the same as he was uh, in the original UWF as he was in Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW. So he's kind of knocking around. So for him to pick up Dr. Death and be like, no, this is a main event guy. 
and you know use him the ability and having giving him an opportunity to make money while he's in the states while going over to Japan and we're managing that schedule. I mean, like those are some nice and kind things. Like, I mean, I'm sure he was nice to guys. I'm sure he was kind to people. It just a second that everything was done, or even. As soon as he woke up that morning, I mean, it was just all about just like, let me, let me have a good fucking time. And I'll be quite honest, as miserable as my life is with work right now, you know what? I I probably need a little bit of Herb Abrams, like living. I probably need to just kind of just say, fuck it. All this is about me right now. And I want to do exactly what the fuck I want to do because fuck it. And that's the legacy of Herb Abrams is fuck it. I'm going to do exactly what the fuck I want to do. If I could say one thing and one thing only to Herb Abrams, it would be, fuck yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Just making it rain, cocaine and hookers, fantasy booking, a real life promotion. And if I could still a thought, a more serious thought from my talk with uh, Jonathan Pablon from the UWF book, it's that if it weren't for Herb Abrams, no one would be talking about UWF. It wouldn't have been covered by Vice. It wouldn't be this crazy, interesting story. It would have just been another outlaw mud show that failed in the early 90s, you know? But her, somehow, his his batshit intensity and, and craziness and, and lifestyle has made this, like, a special place in wrestling, especially with the Vice thing giving it, you know, a big push into the public eye. This shit's never going to go away, and it's it's a crazy story. It sucks that he died. It's sad, and, you know, that's another thing, that addiction, you got to try to overcome it. But, man, fucking give me that bankroll, and this is the Nick Alexander story in about 15 minutes. Nick brought up Tommy Wiseau, and uh, there's the similarity between their histories are mysterious. They had a bunch of money. They made these things. They were disasters, but they're kind of legendary in their way, and it's it's the way that kind of great bad movies get this status the way the room with tommy wiseau and the way uwf with herb abrams is because some people intentionally try to make bad movies these days or i guess they do that in the same way with other things but like the passion and the sincerity is what makes those disasters special it's what makes you want to see them because they might have fucked up but they cared they gave a shit and they really went out there and tried to make something special and I guess I could say in the long run, that's all that matters. That's not all that matters, but it's it's a big portion. The The one name that I thought of throughout all this was stealing from a Patton Oswalt bit where he's talking about Robert Evans, the legendary Hollywood producer, where he calls him Cokie McSnortfuck. And every time I see Herb Abrams, I just think Cokie McSnortfuck. Herb Abrams and Jim Cornette never met. I just wanted to put that out there. That's a fucking missed opportunity in time and history. And God fucked up not putting those two people together. <laughs> if there was the Herb Abrams movie, if Philip Seymour Hoffman was still alive, he would have crushed the shit out of it. Nowadays, uh, I think Sal Rubinick, if you've ever seen uh, the movie True Romance, he's the Hollywood movie producer at the end. Fucking Charlie Day as Herb Abrams. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you can play the younger and then you put the, the, the older makeup on him <laughs> as he goes. Yeah, I can see that. If anybody out there has any promo items for UWF, I would kill to have them. I've checked eBay. Can't find shit. Can't find shit. I would kill for a t-shirt. I don't know. I didn't have a good final thoughts with this with any cohesiveness. Mine are kind of rambling anyway, usually. But I just wanted to finish up with Herb. 
in saying I found a quote on the wrestling class's message board. This is in defense of Herb in regards to his uh, shady business practices and not paying people. This is from C.C. Milani from New York. I can't remember if that's his name or if he's actually from New York. March 2002 on the message board, he said the following. I knew four guys that worked for Herb Abrams, and they all said the same thing. He paid them every dime they were promised, every time. No bounce checks, no stories about changing banks, etc. Etc. is probably not the best word to end there, but I mean, there, there, there had to be pockets where Herb did the right thing. And I like to think one of the favorite things I found through all this is that if Herb got UWF to the levels that he envisioned it in his mind, he was going to do a huge stadium pay-per-view in Israel with the biggest stars ever, UWF pay-per-view Israel stadium show. Fuck. Would have been amazing. I hope you're up there with that show right now, Herb. That is a fucking wrap for 2020. We made it through this shit together. <laughs> Thank Dude, there's you. seven days left. There's I seven days left. There's fucking seven days. I, I'm sure the bomb's dropping right now. Um, yeah. I have begrudgingly recorded every one of these episodes <laughs> since fucking quarantine when everybody's like, oh, let's have Zoom get-togethers. And I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm losing money doing this podcast. I just scream. Like, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's good connecting with people over the line. And go, I, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. see my two fucking best friends in this fucking world, and I'm fucking pissed off and screaming at both of you. <laughs> Not directly at you, but kind of at you. Uh, misdirectly, you, you're feeling my anger uh, for being here. Uh, but I, I, do, I do say, like, it's the little things that you guys keep going with all this and... And now that I don't do how did this get booked anymore, I guess this is like um, outside of the Facebook Live that everybody sees me on. Uh, this is a bit more me because I curse like a fucking sailor here. <laughs> this is this is exactly who I am. Like I I'm very well versed in how to use an f f bomb to make it a good fucking punchline. So. Uh, you guys are getting top-notch Jake Manning, realistic Jake Manning. And every time when Christmas rolls around, I am absolutely insane <laughs> because High Spots is trying to kill me at this time of the year. So We have to give a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, including yeah. a new one, Jake. It is Anthony Esposito. Woo! And Anthony, I just pulled, I believe you got a DVD grab bag, the 50 DVDs for $50, or was a t-shirt. I took care of you on your order. Don't worry. I made sure you got a good one because you, you always been a solid customer. Also a newbie to 10 Bell Pod and gave us a big shout out on social media. So I appreciate that. So yeah, anybody that's out there listening, anytime you send a little tweet that you like what we're doing over here. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for letting me know that the people are listening to this thing over here, especially everybody that came over from the virtual gimmick tables, uh, everybody that's out there. So this is this is when Jake Manning uh, lets his hair down and lets you know exactly how he fucking feels uh, without his boss sitting right over his fucking right <laughs> shoulder, wondering what he's gonna say next. All right, thank you guys. Thank you for supporting us financially, emotionally, on social media. Uh, I wouldn't have made it through this godforsaken year without this podcast. Happy holidays. Yeah. Bye. You gotta have a tagline, Bruno. Come on. Ah, ah, ah. You're a mean one, Mister Tint. You really are a hill. You're as jacked up as cactus, but with none of the appeal, Mr. Tint. 
he worked mass transit, he would have been killed. You're a monster, Mr. Tent. Your heart's a dog out hole. Your insides are hollow, like Taker took your soul, Mr. Tent. I hope Vince Russo put you on a pole. shirts for your mom and your grandma and everybody because you gotta get everybody in the family watching the AEW to get the ratings up to beat NXT but if you could just go to Patreon and give them 10 Bell Pod Boys some money I know they'd appreciate it because they actually do real moves and they know how to work a match unlike these, these spot monkeys so quit buying the AEW shirts and give 10 Bell Pod some money Wendy's